Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Salantano, our business editor, Sharp Smith, our technology editor, and Jim Fryer, our managing editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. The 2023 Volume 3 issue will be available soon. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com intelligence. So, Mr. John, you're going to talk about Phoenix Tower. Hey, Leslie. Yep. Um, you know, we, we tend to be uh, uh, U.S.-centric in our views, but a lot of the companies that we track, you know, are doing great things overseas. And a recent announcement of Phoenix Tower International is representative of that. The company announced that they successfully closed two transactions for nearly 2,000 sites, actually 1,978 to be exact, uh, uh, strategically located in dense urban areas across France. Uh, the acquisitions, um, uh, the transactions uh, are, are really two two acquisitions um, of towers from uh, two mobile network operators in France, SFR and um, Boys Telecom. <clears throat> uh, the deal with the SFR involved over 1,200 sites and um, uh, uh, the deal with Boys Telecom um, is actually through PTI's Phoenix France Infrastructure 2 subsidiary uh, involving over uh, 750 sites. Um, PTI says both these transactions uh, really mark a crucial step in its commitment to expand in France, uh, supporting the French MNOs uh, as they grow uh, and meet demand for reliable connectivity in densely populated areas. Um, These two acquisitions, along with the previously announced build program, will give PTI over 3,600 sites in France, and the company says it's on track to own and operate over 5,000 sites in the next two years. Uh, That tally would make uh, PTI one of the largest independent infrastructure providers in the country. Um, The um, Dagen Casavana, the PTI CEO, said the transactions helped diversify PTI's portfolio across France with sites located all over the country, including the major cities, to provide uh, strong wireless connectivity. Uh, He says that France is one of the most dynamic telecom markets in Europe, and PTI's growth will continue to help facilitate that coverage of the deployment of the French mobile operators uh, across the country. Uh, With these two transactions, PTI will own and operate over 22,000 towers uh, throughout Europe, the U.S., Latin America, and the Caribbean. Uh, PTI's European operations span France, Italy, Ireland, Malta, and Cyprus. Uh, France will be PTI's largest market uh, based on the number of sites um, of, uh, across its uh, the company's 21 global markets. So uh, they didn't tell us uh, what the deal uh, uh, amounted to. Uh, 
in any dollar uh, transaction, but um, it is a move on PTI's part to bolster its uh, international presence. Uh, as a matter of fact, the U.S. domestic market is its its, its minor market. Um, PTI is really an international company, and um, uh, so we continue to follow. These are interesting developments. Uh, we've seen other uh, telecom tower transactions uh, by American companies and uh, European companies. There's a, a lot of uh, uh, transfers of tower ownership uh, in, in different parts of the world. We're going to kind of stay on top of that. Well, thank you, John. And something just left my screen. I had to find what I was doing here. Um, so three, two, one. Uh, the Senate voted 55 to 43 on Thursday to confirm Anna Gomez to the fifth and vacant seat on the FCC. The vote means an end to the 2-2 party deadlock at the agency, which has been going on for two and a half years. Gomez will be the first Latina commissioner the FCC has had since 2001. That's when Gloria Tristani left. During the vote, Ted Cruz uh, led the opposition, saying her, her confirmation would lead to the passage of, quote, job-killing net neutrality, and in the wrong hands, the FCC could go down a dark path of regulatory overreach. He cited uh, the um, T-Mobile 2.5 gigahertz spectrum licenses being held hostage. Um, Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel uh, has explained that they actually don't have the ability to issue those licenses until the agency regains its auction authority. He said a vote for Gomez is a vote for regulating the internet as a public utility. Um, and he, you know, he's referring to net neutrality, which he says would make the internet more expensive and slower. The supporters of net neutrality say the opposite. Um, Ed Markey led the proponents for her. He called the FCC one of the premier agencies in federal government for overseeing wires and radio waves that have become the backbone of our economy. And he said he would reintroduce his bill to restore net neutrality in the coming weeks. He said it's been nearly six years since the Trump FCC repealed it. And he urged a favorable vote for Gomez because the FCC must, you know, work on critical issues. Um, Gomez joined the State Department in January, she was to lead preparations for the International Telecommunications Union World Radio Communication Conference this year, otherwise known as WARC. She said during her hearing that NTIA was making plans to substitute her in case she was confirmed as a commissioner. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I mentioned the vote was 55-43. She needed some Republicans to vote with her to get that that uh, approval. The five were Capito, Collins, Rounds, Murkowski, and Young. And she'll be uh, she'll be sworn in very quickly. And then the FCC will probably assign temporary staff for her for a certain number of weeks before she gets you know, a more uh, settled staff. And she's not the only uh, person at the FCC who needs to be reconfirmed. Both Jeffrey uh, Starks and Brendan Carr need to be reconfirmed. 
that hasn't happened yet. The White House hopes it will. Um, Carr is okay. He can serve through 2024 without a vote on his next term. But Starks, his term is going to end by the end of the year in December, unless the Senate votes on that. So that's the next, uh, that'll be the next big push for the Democrats. Unless they had a question about uh, Senator Cruz's uh, remark. Oh, his remarks, sure. Holding uh, the... Um, the, that 2.5 gig spectrum is hostage. It, isn't it the Senate that has to approve the uh, authority for the FCC to release yes. that? Yes. To Well, not to release it, but they they have to approve the auction authority. But it's been auctioned. I mean, it, the licenses were awarded to T-Mobile, right? Yes, they were. And Rosenworcel is saying that without without that auction authority, I know it sounds weird, but she's saying they don't have the legal ability to actually disperse what was awarded in that auction. Mm. And um, several people disagree, and that's been a fight for months. Mm. But the Senate, um, the Senate tried a couple of times uh, during budget negotiations at the end of last year to get the auction authority restored it, and then it tried again in the beginning of the new term, and um, they failed to get enough votes. So right. it's 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 you know, it's, yeah. And it, it's what it isn't so much that I guess to me what really uh, makes this bad is you can't put any more auction, uh, licenses in the auction pipeline until this authority is restored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That affects Leslie, the future. Mm-hmm. Leslie, what is the uh, what's the reasoning that people are voting against this? It isn't so much that they're voting against it; it's that other things that are more pressing have come before them, and they have to hash that out. But the and the big thing that has come before them that they still haven't hashed out is the budget. That's why we're talking about a possible shutdown again. Yeah, all that is bigger than the FCC's auction authority. And they have to agree on that before they can get to the FCC. Yeah. So that's what's holding it up. It, it, it's just Congress can't agree on anything. And it's it's a big problem. People not willing to work across the aisle. So, Yeah. I mean, it used to be that auction authority was very bipartisan and it's money for the government and it's um, capitalism and God and country. Yeah. And and it and Jessica Rosenworcel has pointed out to lawmakers several times that the auctions have made, oh, my God, north of 80 billion for the US Treasury, it may be up to 100 billion. I don't have the exact figure in my head, but yeah, it's good for the country. But the people, the lawmakers are just so focused on other things. And you gotta believe and, and that they're not focusing on this. And we're already talking about the 224 elections. So that's a layer two. So, yeah. So the um, the other uh, story 
that I was working on this week was the fight between uh, T-Mobile and DISH over DISH's request to delay buying the 800 megahertz spectrum. Um, New Street has put out uh, oh two or three bulletins, uh, not bulletins, but client reports on this. And they still believe the, D- the DOJ is likely to side with DISH and convince the federal court uh, to approve the extension. DISH has said it didn't anticipate, you know, higher interest rates and supply chain issues when it agreed to the deal, which was crafted by the DOJ to allow T-Mobile to acquire Sprint. And um, uh, New Street policy analyst Blair Levin, he said that DISH considers those licenses critical to its ability to compete effectively. Um, So the upshot is, uh, you know, T-Mobile says holding on to the spectrum longer will cost it at least $215 million. Uh, T-Mobile also says delay will decrease the spectrum's auction value. Bidders will have less time to complete build-out requirements. Um, and New Street is pointing out holding on to the spectrum longer may prevent T-Mobile from acquiring 600 megahertz spectrum that would improve its network value for consumers. Um, A key date is September 18th, because that's the date by which the DOJ and plaintiff states uh, must file if they want the court to know their views. And he uh, he believes, Levin believes, well, he says the court is the decision maker. He still believes it's highly likely that they will side with DISH. So that'll be something to watch. And I think we're going to, Mr. Sharp, you were going to tell us about uh, John Stanky of AT&T had some very interesting things to say this week. Yes, Leslie. Uh, uh, John Stanky, CEO over AT&T, spoke with Brett Feldman with uh, uh, Goldman Sachs at the, uh, uh, the firm's Communicopia Technology Conference this week. And uh, he gave some uh, uh, sort of a, a, a follow-up on the, uh, uh, Wall St- uh, the Wall Street Journal's uh, article uh, that stated there was a, a public health crisis concerning uh, the lead-clad cables that, uh, um, that the telecom industry uh, AT&T, Verizon, and uh, some others have uh, uh, have used and, uh, in most cases, abandoned. And uh, uh, it was interesting. He said that uh, uh, they have they uh, AT&T has tested the sites that uh, some of the sites that that uh, Wall Street Journal cited and. Uh, EPA has has, uh, has tested uh, some sites. Uh, we're talking about uh, uh, sites in, in Michigan, uh, New York, uh, and they're not finding the same uh, conclusions that the Wall Street Journal uh, came back with, and uh, and they've approached them, you know, about this, and. Uh, the Wall Street Journal sort of comes out uh, 
not really looking so good uh, in this story because uh, they haven't disclosed the details of, uh, of their testing. And uh, uh, AT&T says they've reached out to them. And uh, so it, uh, it just leaves, in the end, uh, doubts about the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, article. And uh, so it, um, we, we're sort of left with a, with a, a situation where uh, there's just not a lot of transparency. And uh, so it, uh, it doesn't look to me like, you know, unless, unless uh, OSHA or, or the EPA or whoever, uh, you know, covers this if they don't, uh, you know, go in and really do a, a uh, you know, soup to nuts look at, uh, at these lead clad cables. You know, in the meantime, it doesn't look like there's much of a, much of an issue there. Um, so, so yeah, that was just sort of, a, uh, you know, an interesting follow-up on, on that, that original story, which, uh, sounded, you know, pretty damning and, uh, and certainly, uh, didn't help, uh, AT&T stock for a while. Um, it's interesting. Um, I remember when this all came out, AT&T said from the very beginning, our results don't match the Wall Street Journal's. But I didn't realize the Wall Street Journal hadn't published how it did the tests. Um, so that's that's very interesting. Um, you know, Verizon. Yeah, I mean, I'm laughing. You know, they were like, yeah, 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 we're cooperating with EPA, and AT and T did too. But AT and T was also very strident when, when all this came out and said, our results don't match. We don't know what they're talking about. We did tests. No, this isn't. You know, so it's interesting that now he's telling investors this too. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, uh, I'm left left with the uh, the feeling. You know that the Wall Street Journal has always been a, uh, you know, the the business publication of record. Although anymore, I feel more like it's it's Bloomberg. But uh, um, you know, they're not exactly uh, known for for investigative journalism or 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 lead testing. So you know. To me, it, it's it's sort of an odd story. Uh, uh, they've they've gotten out of their lane, and uh, you know let let ProPublica, you know, uh, do things like this and uh, uh, stick to the stick to the nuts and bolts of uh, of business. I, I think that would be that might be the message that uh, should be conveyed back to the Wall Street Journal. Um, Another thing that Stanky uh, covered, which uh, which I I thought was interesting, was uh, you know we we use the word uh, convergence uh, way too much, and everyone probably forgets exactly what convergence is, um, and it's in norm, normal nomenclature, it's it's a uh, uh, seen as uh, uh, combining uh, wireless networks and uh, and wireline networks and uh, in the case of the carriers they can bundle them together and uh, uh, find lots of uh, synergies and uh, 
and hopefully uh, a, a, uh, a customer that uh, is a higher net value uh, customer that will stay with them for, for, uh, for longer. And uh, lifetime values was the, uh, the term that uh, Stanky used. And, uh, um, but what, uh, what differed, I think, about what he said at the Communicopia uh, conference was that AT&T doesn't see wireless networks and wireline networks as, as two separate entities to be converged together. They believe uh, now their, their mantra is it's a fiber optic world. And uh, the, the company and Convergence is basically, you know, what what you put at the end Thank of the... Thank you for listening to the, Tower uh, Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, fiber, our daily the, newsletter, uh, or the fiber use our other industry with, resources, whether it's a please cell visit tower, InsideTowers.com. Uh, Until next time, uh, you've been uh, listening to Tower Talks from InsideTowers, uh, the wireless, wireless infrastructure industry's podcast. Uh, uh, fiber to the home, fiber to the premise, fiber to the business. Uh, it's fiber, fiber, fiber. Uh, that's... That that was a feeling I got from uh, from Stanky, and uh, so he he uh, he sort of he answered the answer to the question. The question at the time at uh, that Feldman uh, posed to him is how do you how do you compete with uh, with the cable companies? You know, because they're doing MVNO. They've they've got uh, uh, they've got their wire line. Uh, and they've got a, uh, they're expanding their wireless uh, network, and uh, uh, you know they're they're competing, you know, with some pretty low prices, uh, which is always concerning for for a, for a wireless carrier. And uh, and basically, he said that you know the, the margins, if you don't own the whole network, the margins are never going to work for you. And uh, by owning the whole network and being able to uh, uh, to uh, to price it in a certain way, and also I think he talked a lot about he took, he's, he he mentioned you know security and and services that uh, there are certain things that you can do when you own the whole shebang uh, in those areas that that cable will be always sort of hamstrung with, uh, with its approach to, uh, uh, to, to convergence. So, so I thought that was, uh, was, you know, really, really a telling answer to uh, a question that we've all had. You know, these guys, when they talk convergence, they talk network convergence and infrastructure convergence. I have a, my wireless service and my uh, wireline service from the same uh, uh, yet to be unnamed uh, uh, service provider in the Northeast. And I get two bills. I just want my billing converged onto one statement. And <laughs> I've asked many times and they can, they, they say it, they, they're not gonna do it or they can't do it. And to me, that's the ultimate in customer service if you can Put every all the services on one bill, whether it's wireline or wireless, and make it nice and simple in one point. Because I deal with two customer service groups, you know, it's it's like they're two separate companies. So 
I hear I hear these guys talking about that, and I I understand what they're saying, but you know when the rubber meets the road, they're they're still not there yet. Hmm. Wow. Well, they haven't figured out a name either, so that's a bigger problem. True. <laughs> All right, I think we're done. Oh, sorry. That's it for me. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you all for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. For a complete rundown of all the week's stories, check out our Saturday edition. Thanks for listening.